Um, I do think it's funny. There's kind of just like this, this probably, I would imagine on the outside, there's an image of how surf media works and it's probably a bit more fun than it actually is. I don't think people probably realize that it's a bunch of people in like a windowless house, just like, just kind of grumpy and sweating and just like every now and then they kind of get up and mumble something like eat a handful of pretzels and like walk back like that's pretty much what it is <laughs> and people think it's fun Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and apologies for being a day late with this episode. We like to stay on that Friday schedule, but I actually lost my voice this week and wasn't able to record for reasons that will soon be explained. But we've got a huge episode for you this week, from some new laws in Nicaragua that affect surf filming, to the angriest man in surfing, to a new Katie Simmer surf film, and of course, a surf sim. After that, Stace and I are going to come on to talk about the end of the U.S. Open, everything that happened there, Challenger Series stuff, straight into a Tahiti preview. We're going to make our picks for the Chopo event and, yeah, basically just break down everything that is going to happen this next week, which, spoiler alert, it's going to be amazing. So let's get straight into it. Buck, get in here. All right. Mikey, congratulations. You didn't win the U.S. Open, but you survived. I didn't? No, I don't think so. I think Zeke, Lau, and Betty Lewis, Kira Johnson did. Well, are you going to believe the stats, or are you going to believe the people? I'll believe... I mean, they didn't have odds. We'll get to this, but they didn't have odds <laughs> up. But I'll believe uh, the results, because that's how you get paid. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess I didn't get paid, did I? Damn it. All right, Zeke, you win again. Got you again. But anyway, you survived. How, I mean, what people don't realize, because I've been to, I'd say I've probably been to the U.S. Open like four or five times in my life, and I think it's harder on the on the media people than it is on the surfers, to be honest. Do you agree after coming off a week of it? Yeah, I mean, so just to give context, right? So we had a pickup episode going out every four days. Now, some of it was pre-filmed to a degree and pre-edited to a degree but I won't even like try to claim that my week was remotely rough compared to what our editors and producers and directors were doing for the pickup like uh, Danny, Will, Blake, Garrett, um, everyone really it was like they were up late every night especially the nights before we were going live a lot of times they were up till like four in the morning just hammering out sections i mean yeah like i said like we basically put out two 20 to 30 minute films in the space of eight days so it was it was pretty wild um wow hold on i'm uh i'm bleeding out of my head my head before let me uh (laughs) okay (laughs) check on this pause on the podcast (laughs) uh no i think it's just a cut i didn't hit it that hard it was just uh all right, it's fine. It's, uh, what can you do? What can you do? Yeah, I mean, those guys, they must have had it especially hard. Um, did you guys have a nice, like, cave going? Was there any sort of, like, a place where you could you could put them all kind of in, like, a big pot where they could have no light 
and uh, not expose themselves to society. Yeah, pretty much our whole house was like that, actually. We had like this, it was like a nice house. It was a big house in Huntington Beach. It was two, three blocks from, you know, the pier. So it was amazing. We could just run down there anytime we needed to. Um, you know, some of us got to go for a quick surf every now and then. Oh, some of us, huh? <laughs> yes, some of us. The only, it was so funny because, but then the whole house was like so dark. Like there were barely any windows unless you were in this sort of like master bedroom. So like all the bedrooms felt like little kid rooms basically, except for this one that was just like all decked out. It had like this giant bathroom, like a walk-in closet. It was just absolutely magnificent. And uh, yeah, shout out to Blake Michelle who got there before everyone staked this claim and didn't leave that place for the entire time. Wow, power move. I love that. Good job, Blake. Um, I do think it's funny. There's kind of just like this, this probably... I would imagine on the outside there's an image of how surf media works and it's probably a bit more fun than it actually is. I don't think people <laughs> probably realize that it's a bunch of people in like a windowless house just like just kind of grumpy and sweating and just like every now and then they kind of get up and mumble something like eat a handful of pretzels and like walk back. Like that's pretty much what it is. That is the best and description I've ever heard of what surf media actually is. And it's so funny because then like after doing that all day, like we still – we're obligated to we also want to because it's like a bit of a reprieve from the dungeon but we have to go out to these events at nighttime as well so people just like see us at those things and they're like oh these guys are just like out like having a good time blah blah blah, having drinks but it's like no they're getting home at 10 30 from that and like going back to work <laughs> it's uh yeah back to sweating and just grumbling at each other <laughs> eating i feel like there's always strangely gummy like a gummy candy there too which i hate but whenever you're in that setting you just eat them because <laughs> your brain is just broken and wants any bit of like dopamine um and yeah i feel like that's that's what it is that's how it works there were m&ms okay. a lot of m&ms and grapes which Ooh. I want to um, segue into how our final night ended. So the U.S. Open ends on a Sunday every year, no matter what. That's that's why the Waves... Actually, the Waves are like kind of fun for finals day this year, but like they could have obviously run it earlier in the week when the Waves are bigger, but they love to end on that Sunday just for viewership and people coming down to the beach, etc. And we got through it. Um, the last episode was going out Monday so that we could like talk to the finalists and include those sections in the show. So obviously we filmed all day Sunday. Monday was just edit day, just grinding till the last second. We put the last episode out. And at that point, everybody's like, thank fucking God, like this is over. Now let's go out and just like have a nice night and erase all of this from our memory. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so I, I actually had done pretty well throughout the week. Like, I, I didn't wake up hungover too often, and um, I think most of us actually were doing pretty well. Like we, what, a, we, we sur- what a U.S. Open line. I didn't wake up hungover too often. <laughs> yeah, so we'd been, like, surviving the week. We did a really good job. And then Monday comes. We finish the last episode. We all go out. We have this amazing dinner at this super nice restaurant, and then we're like, screw it, we're going to keep it going. So we go to this bar called, I think it was Killarney's or Malarkey's or one of the sure, uh, yeah. Irish bars there. Cool hands. And it was car- karaoke night. So you can probably tell right now that I don't have a voice. Um, we're recording this on a Friday. Again, this was on Monday. So I lost my voice singing the Men at Works Down Under with Danny mm. Johnson. Oh. Can we play some audio? There's got to be a video of it. Can we? Can we... Yeah, let's get a little taste. Oh, I 
so I know that when you hear that, that I lost my voice singing The Men at Works Down Under with Danny Johnson. It just sounds like another one of those really bad Danny Johnson jokes, like, where's Danny? Um, but nope, we were there together singing uh, just, I think that's the Australian National Anthem, if I'm not mistaken. And among other songs, and I, I basically couldn't talk for the next three days. But um, yeah, we we almost survived the U.S. Open, but the last night it really did get us. Well, that's awesome. I guess that's an update for Danny. He's he's just singing karaoke. Is uh, where he's at. Go find him. But you guys are great. I loved every episode, episode three especially. I mean, there's some great stuff in there. The Dangadoskis getting boards from random Huntington Beach restaurants. That that one really, you know. How how do you beat that? That was great. That was heartwarming. The eight dollar surf filmer. Yeah, that was pretty cool too. I like the Dane more. I mean, you're not you're just not getting better than that. I'm just saying the best. Like the you know, surfline camp's cool, but Dane stealing boards better in my opinion. Um, okay. And then the pipe masters little egg at the end, little carrot, huh? Ooh. Yeah, you want to give the, the listeners a little rundown on what's going down? Well, from December 8th to the 20th this year, the Vans Pipe Masters will be held invite only. We're not giving you too much information yet, but uh, more coming. Let's keep it a little bit elusive for now. But Big news. This is big news. It's going to be invite only men and women Pipe Masters. So get ready, folks. We're going to have plenty more. All right. Oh, I realized I never uh, got to the, the grape portion of my segue. So do you want to know how our, our night ended on Monday? Uh, eating grapes, I guess. Feeding each other grapes, <laughs> like one of those paintings? Um, yeah, in a way. So we got home from the bar, from singing karaoke, just feeling great. And um, yeah, it was just, it was all the guys from Stab, like the fe- females like Corey, who was one of the hosts of The Pickup, and Coral, who's sort of like running our social media and all that stuff. They went home, they went back to the hotel, the super nice hotel where they're staying, by the way. Um, and it was just the guys back at the house, and we were going to be leaving the next day. So we had all these grapes. And I was like, how are we going to get rid of all these grapes? Like, there's so many grapes. So we created a new drinking game. Or actually, I guess it's more of like a game that you play when you're already really drunk. But what you do is everybody grabs a grape and you kind of stand in a circle and it starts, everybody puts their hand in the middle with their grape, they pull it back and the first person goes. So they go and they throw the grape up into the air, you know, maybe three, four feet up and they have to catch it in their mouth. If they catch it in their mouth, great, clean, their turn's over. If they don't catch it in their mouth, every other person holding the grape pegs their grape at that person. This sounds like how wine was invented. Somebody just had a bunch of grapes and they just started throwing them around <laughs> and then eventually figured out you let it sit for a while and then you get hammered again. Exactly. It's like Russian roulette a little bit. But yeah, that was how our night ended with basically people with welts all over their body from grapes. That is awesome. Well, I would like to play next time. Maybe Pipe Masters will play the grape game when that ends. Um, it'll be <laughs> a little holiday tradition. And one more thing, actually, right. I wanted to ask you. First of all, Evan, uh, using the word Slurpee, uh, at the judges, I love like kind of Seven Eleven Slurpees. I don't know. I just I'm not sure if I heard that word not in the Seven Eleven like frozen drink context before. So <laughs> loved it. Did you think he was over or do you think Zeke was overscored or Joao? Sorry, Joao. Uh, no, I think I don't think Evan got the score. I think if his wave had an inside, he gets the score. I don't think he gets the score without the inside. Yeah, that's how I felt. But then I did have money on Joao. I had to just do it with a friend because Bet Online didn't have odds. And then it got me down this weird little thought rabbit hole where I was like, I wonder if if we could have bet on surfing all along, 
I don't think anybody would have ever disliked Gabriel Medina. Like, that would have just been... <laughs> Nobody would, would have been no problem. No problem at all. Everybody would just be like, he's the best. We love him. He makes us money. And so... Wait, but don't Australians, like, kind of hate him the most? I Yeah, I guess so. But they're just bad people. <laughs> that's true. They're the worst of Britain. And that's what we got for you, folks. Let's get into the surf news. Watch. Ramble on with Katie Simmers in our favorite country, Australia. And it pretty much just puts on a free serving clinic everywhere she goes. She's incredible. I mean, this is this is a 14 minute long clip. It's mostly action. And it is just a delight to watch this young woman surf, isn't it? I don't know any way else to express this than she is the best female surfer to watch hands down. Like she's almost on Steph's level of style and technique and flow and everything. But then she's got this crazy like modern day tech and air game in the mix. It is truly like the pinnacle of female surfing right now i know and it's funny because she's not even on the tour she could be if she wanted to and she probably will be next year but to me I, there's no female in the world that i would rather watch surf than katie simmers i think she's at that point where like a lot of surfers have kind of gone through it but like that okay every single thing that has their name attached to it you stop and watch immediately you know like like i think harry bryant was like that and now if he still drops anything i'm watching right away uh, Noah Dean like that for a while. It's just like, Mike, you're right for a while for me. Um, she's at that level. Anytime I see anything where I'm going to get to watch her surf, I'm in immediately. It's it's non-negotiable. It's happening. And this is great. Uh, my favorite part is when she goes down to hang out with Russell in his homeland of just where the ocean does weird, weird stuff. And he takes her to this slab the ocean doing weird things and she figures it out in like three waves and that wave i mean maybe maybe i'm a little bit biased because i'm goof and it just i know it'd be a nightmare for me but just watching her dial that thing so quickly was insane yeah and then she goes on to do the best straight air of her life or so she says and speaking of which fuck russell bierke he is not allowed to also be good at airs that that's just not I'm going to sue him. Like, it used to be, you used to have a thing where, like, big wave surfers could just go straight. You'd see, like, um, Jamie Sterling at Rocky Point, you'd be like, oh, man, I got this guy beat, you know? And Russell Bjork is just ripping. He does an alley-oop. Like, he does a few errors in the beginning. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cute. And then he lands an alley-oop where I'm like, okay, fuck you. Like, that's just over the top. You didn't have to do that, you know? No. And, yeah, that, that irked me, actually. It's, uh... What an incredible talent he is. That, that, what was it? Mindset? Flow state. Flow state. My God. Russell Bjorki. Mind surfing? Mind surfing. <laughs> Flow mind. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out 805. <laughs> um, but it's great. And then another favorite for me in there is this, this roundhouse to reverse that she does at Snapper, which I think is just the cockiest thing you could do in the world. Like that wave, every every other person is just like, not quite half turning, but kind of half turning the whole time because you just don't want to get stuck behind it. It's the worst thing you can do. And if you're trying not to get stuck behind it, the cockiest thing you do is to do a roundhouse and then to throw a reverse in there too. It's just like little elements like that that just show how like comfortable and confident and just how much her own style oozes through. It's just so sick. She's great. Ramble on. Go check it out.
inside the alternative surfboard marketing machine. So this is kind of a follow-up. We did a piece called Nobody Gets Paid to Ride Surfboards featuring JS, Pizel, and Kabianka, pretty much telling us that they don't pay anybody to ride surfboards. Um, I found that kind of surprising. I thought maybe at the highest level there'd be some money exchange and people get free boards, people get royalties. But this piece takes that same lens of how does this whole sponsorship marketing thing work and looks at the alt board world with Matt Parker of Album and Blake Peters of Panda. And nobody gets paid to ride surfboards still. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, Album said that he does have deals in place where if a surfer has a specific model and they're pushing it you know, on their own channels, etc., and they're seeing sales as a result of that, that there is a commission. But yeah, it sounds like for the most part, I mean... We say it once, we say it a million times. The margins just aren't there. You're not selling enough volume, really, is what it comes down to. Like board shorts, you know, you can sell hundreds of thousands of pairs, but surfboards, it's just people aren't buying that many. Do you think that whole thing with volume is why the mid length came to be? <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I don't consider royalties payment. Like I, I consider just like, hey, here's your paycheck per month payment. I, I know royalty is a form of payment, but still it's it's much different than saying no matter what, how much this board sells, here's your check, tag me a few times on social. Um, an album, have you, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've done a joyride with one of his boards, have you? I did, yeah. I did um, the Disasim, which is, it's a tri-fin that's not a thruster. It's got two like a quad set up on one side and then i think it has like a twin on the other um and it's kind of short boardy but it's yeah it was super fun i really enjoyed it mm. you know morgan williamson um who can surf he's not a great surfer but he can definitely surf uh, r.i.p he used to be with stab now he's not he still helps a bit but um he had a quiver of albums he came to portugal once and i was surfing with him and he swore by the things. And then on album steam now, you got Josh Kerr, Victor Bernardo, Asher Facey, Sterling Spencer, Jack Freestone, and Mackenzie Bowden. And I've never tried one of his boards, but when he talks, I find him really articulate. I think what he says about surfboard design makes sense to my brain. I think what he says about the whole world. I think that guy seems brilliant. And um, Matt, you're great. Thanks for existing. Have you been influenced, Buck? Are you going to transition? I might. I, I mean, you said that thing about volume. It made sense to me. There's just not enough volume. <laughs> um, no, I just I just appreciate people bringing new stuff into our world. He seems to just kind of be on a completely different wavelength, and it seems to really be working, and I think that's just good for everybody. It's good for surfing. So that's good. And then Blake had some really interesting thoughts. I mean, he didn't shit-talk CT surfers, but he kind of shit-talked CT surfers. What, what did you... What was your read on that? Well, Blake's take just seems very economical. Like everything that he does, or at least that he explained in this interview, is it's all based around the bottom line. So if he's sponsoring someone, he wants to see an ROI on that. And he basically is saying that CT surfers don't provide that ROI. I would think they would. Even, even I mean, get Jackson Baker on one. We're talking. It's, it'd be surprising, <laughs> no? If nothing else, it'd be surprising and get people talking. If Jackson Baker showed up on a panda um, to at Bell's next year, people would talk. I'd talk about it. You would, but maybe just for one event, and then he'd have to do something spectacular for it to have any sort of resonance and like any 
actual financial implications. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think just showing up if you it doesn't have to do anything crazy. Wins a couple of heats on a panda that just has not been seen at a level before. I think it just people talk about his boards and look at it differently. I don't know. Disagree there. Um, what kind of boards does Jadson Andre ride? Fuck, that's a good question. Uh, Buell. <laughs> <laughs> PSA, public service announcement. Surf filmers are not welcomed in Nicaragua. So, complicated one, but a lot of political unrest in Nicaragua right now, thanks to a gentleman called Daniel Ortega. And over 200,000 people have fled the country in the last few years, I read. A lot of them have been journalists. They're really cracking down on media there. The state owns a lot of it. They are... I read the term information blackout um, in terms of what's kind of the stories that people can actually share the information. There's policing that bad, which sucks. That's horrible. And so it's gotten so bad that when surf filmers show up, they're getting their camera gear confiscated for long periods of time. Uh, drones too. Seems like they really like the drones. Hot take here. If you show up to Nicaragua right now, to try to film just the remnants of wind that was blowing off New Zealand and people dancing around it, you should have your camera stolen. <laughs> you, sh- you should. <laughs> I'm not siding with Ortega, but I'm siding it just in general with the logic of like, yeah, if you show up there, it's just not the time. All right, come on. Well, but at the same time, does this not make it like the best place to go for 99% of surfers? who aren't professionals and don't need to get themselves on film to make a living. Like, you know for a fact that with this sort of news coming out, no pro surfer is going to go down there. It just doesn't make sense for them financially. So now you're looking at a place where there's really fun waves, a lot of the time, consistent swell, good winds in certain parts. That sounds like a dream place to go surf trip right now. That does. And even in this story, one of the filmers talks about how he got his stuff taken away from him for five days, and he was just like, so I just surfed the whole time I was drinking beers. Kind of sounded like a dream for a surf filmer, too. Now he's surfing uncrowded waves. He thought he was going to be sweating on the beach the whole time and then grumping around eating pretzels like surf media is. But instead, he's just he's just maxing out. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you that it's a good time to come for, you know... It, it, if you go there now and you just want to surf, you're probably going to get empty waves alone. But in terms of like filming a part, like there's so many other places to go. Obviously, things are intense there right now. Like you deserve to have your drone taken away. All right. That's my take. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like just to add some like real world context to this, my wife, she was going to a master's program based in Costa Rica and they have professors from like all over Latin America there. So one of her professors was from Nicaragua, and he was actually going to run against Ortega. And this was like two years ago, I think, three maybe. So he went over to the U.S. He was like doing something with um, the U.N. or something like he's like a pretty, you know, high level, big name guy. He lands back in Nicaragua. He gets detained and held for two years in prison, two years in prison and only just got released recently apparently not in very good shape and like obviously after the election was over so it's it's really fucking gnarly yeah like the fact that i mean like it's so surfer to just go to these places where terrible things are happening and just pretend like 
it's just dreams and fantasies and spinning tubes everywhere. But yeah, the, the real world does exist. When was the first time you went to Indo? 2015. Okay. Okay. I went in 2008. I think you probably missed this era, but there was a time, I mean, in 2008, Bali was already blown out. Like it wasn't, it was, I'm not fucking Jerry Lopez here. All right. Um, but <laughs> 2008 was this era where they had this law in place where if you showed up with a bunch of boards, I think it was over two, but basically they would, if you showed up with boards, they'd pull you aside and they'd make you pay per board, but they'd first start to like tell you a ridiculous price and they'd pull you in this office and it was like, I mean, I was 18 at the time. It was like kind of scary, but I got warned about it and I kind of had fun with it. Like you get pulled in this kind of dark room and there's a dude just like smoking hand rolled ciggies and kind of like blowing at you and like counting your boards and demanding money. And, um, part of me thinks that's the way it should be. If we're going to be able to avoid the real world like that, you should at least get pulled into a dark room and have somebody blow smoke in your face. Like (laughs) we can't like... Meanwhile, right next to, right over the border, El Salvador, they've got 270 million on like a surf tourism campaign. You probably show up. There's a ride waiting for you. You speak English the whole time. You got this beachside resort, English, everything. It's like a all expenses paid thing. You should have. You should be pulled aside, have a cigarette smoked in your face, maybe a little bit roughed up if you're going to these places. I think it's the way it should be. I mean, we're fucking lucky. We're lucky enough. There you go. The new form of surf travel. Just a bit of uh, interrogation and maybe kidnapping. These are your favorite surfers. So every year, Stab does a reader survey. Um, We ask you, the audience, not just the premium audience, even though you should all be premium if you listen. But we ask the audience to answer a bunch of questions. And then uh, surf brands really get a lot of that data. They like knowing if their board charts are viewed to be the best in the world and see how people are spending their money, blah, 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 blah. One of these things, we ask them to choose... They get a big list of surfers, pretty much everybody in the world, um, and they get to pick their top three. So we have two stories up on Stab Premium, probably by the time you listen. Uh, one is a breakdown of the top 10 male surfers, according to you. One is a breakdown of the top 10 female surfers, according to you. So a few surprises in here, a few surprises. I don't want to give too much away, but Mikey, what stuck out to you on these lists? Um, Torin Martin. Just a just a sore thumb in the top ten right there. He's in there. He's in there. But hey, I his last view where he went to New Zealand or his last uh, film where he went to New Zealand. That thing's got over a million views on what? Need Essentials channel. A yeah. million so, views? Oh my god! A million. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that out too when I was building out the post on our site. But uh, people are watching what that guy's doing. That's unbelievable. Um, also, Ethan Ewing is the highest ranked Australian which I found fascinating. I mean, like, on one hand, obviously, everybody loves his surfing. Like, it's unbelievable. But he also, I feel like a level of this is, it's more than just about surfing. It's also a little bit about personality and how much people connect with a surfer. Because, you know, when we think about our favorite surfer, you know, maybe you and I literally think about what they're doing on the wave. But I feel like for a lot, and, you know, even for myself, I feel like it also comes down to like what that person is like and what sort of vibe they carry and what sort of things they're into, et cetera. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know anything about Ethan Ewing because I don't think I've ever seen him 
speak about anything beyond just what he did in his heat or whatever. The first time he claimed was in J-Bay. Like, that was the most emotion I've ever seen out of him. Um, so I expected maybe like a Jack Robinson, who we've known for a really long time since he was a little kid, and he's had this recent come up. He's number two in the world. I expected maybe him to be higher, but no, Ethan got the nod. He did. That kind of surprised me as well for the same reasons. Um, you just He's not one of those surfers that, um, you know, really seems to have a big media strategy and put himself out there too much. But, I mean, I think you just watch him surf and you're like, how can you not like yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's like the purest surf pick, right? Like, the, that's people who literally just love his surfing, which is really cool. Did you notice how many Goofy Footers were in the male top ten? Uh, I didn't. I'm going to guess two? No. Well, who would, the, who would the two be? Well, oh, I know Craig was just outside. I know Gabby and Italo weren't in there. So, yeah, is it zero? Zero. Oh, my God. Is that just yeah. a stake through your heart? It's just, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And with these survey results, I don't want to give too much away again because this is coming. We're going to do a deep dive into it. But we asked people if they're regular or goofy. I I don't think you can find this information elsewhere. I don't think anywhere else has like stats on like a high number of surfers being pulled about the regular goofy, but we have this number and okay. Yes, it trends to the side of regular, but just how much may surprise you. And we have, we have a, a story coming. that's going to break down like world titles over the years, all these different things. Look at it from many different angles, but um, yeah, that sucks. No goofy footers. Another thing I want to call out is the winner on the male side had 1,553 votes. Do you want to guess how many Jackson Baker got? Um, I'm going to say 43, and I'm going to say that 39 of those were all thanks to the Baker train. You were close. 38. So you were very close. Oh, wow. But um, he beat some pretty big names. Yeah. Uh, like you a, know, this this goes down. Callum Robson. Tell me all... he beat Callum Robson. I know he beat Owen Wright. <laughs> okay that's pretty good that's pretty good right um let me see who else oh well another one i mean coco ho coming in at number two for the women i mean i don't think that would have been the case if she was still in the ct i think that her branching out and you know doing things like the electric acid surfboard test and she did a series with i think the wsl or surfline earlier this year and like just like you know, just branching out and trying these different things and experiencing different sides of surfing in her career in that way, I think that's led people to really come around and adore her even more than they did before. I guess, but, like, I think I'm in the minority here. I want to see her back on tour. And, I mean, she clearly wants to be back on tour. She's doing the CS. Like, I do, I get that side of it, and I think especially seeing her in the East was awesome, but, like... No, Blake Peters is right, Buck. No, I mean, what if she goes on tour? It's not like she can't still make videos. Like, I just, I just don't get what disservice competing at the highest level does to somebody's career. Really, like, I, I don't know. I think that there. So, on one hand, I agree. Like, yes, there's especially now with the way the tour is structured. You know, they have a few months off. They can still do other things. It definitely limits your ability to do other things. Like, if a stab project or trip pops up, you can't just hop on it. You know, in at a moment's notice. But on the other side, I really do think there is something about not being on the tour that makes you more appealing to a large demographic of surfers. Give me a... Like, it just means that you're, like, not in this, like, world of, like, 
zeros and ones and like you're just more of like a free spirit that makes you more appealing not just to people but also in that way to brands like i would imagine that her she's able to get more sort of like brand deals now than she was back then okay donovan (laughs) (laughs) i i get that side of it to an extent but i just i just can't get around hey getting on this mega channel regularly would hurt your career in any way. Getting onto the platform, which is the WSL, be a free spirit there. Be Donovan, lose your fins, wear your jeans in the water, have fun, be groovy, play the guitar. Like, <laughs> I just don't get that. That to me is nothing but an opportunity. It's that doesn't take away, it doesn't cost anything. There's no nothing lost there when you qualify, I don't think. And um, yeah, go be Donovan and wear your jeans in the, in the heat. I don't care. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we'll have a pretty interesting case study. Although, this is kind of an unfair comparison because of how young she is and how much more room she has to grow. But Katie Simmers is number four right now on the reader survey. I have a prediction. I think she will be number one before she turns 20. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to say one by 2025, and she'd be what? She'd be 19 then. So I guess we're on the same page. Yep. You heard it here first. Hey, like everything else in life, you heard it here first. <laughs> All right, let's end on a happy note. The angriest man in surfing. So this is a video from your friends on TikTok of a 59-year-old man. Um, the, the peak of the video for me is he takes a rock at Malibu and he, he lifts <laughs> it over his head and he just throws it down at a surfboard of a child. And it's so primal. <laughs> He's uh, he's just in a wetsuit. It just it looks so apish, um, and it's just one of those things. You just it's a pleasure to watch. It's not a great story. It's uh you know it's a it's a fifty nine year old man throwing a rock at a child surfboard. But I get a kick out of it. Am I am I wrong? I mean, when I first watched this, I was like, Jesus Christ! Like this guy should be in prison. Like not even just like get a fine. Like he should actually be in prison. Like he's a threat to society. He'd get out. He'd be fabricating his own tools in there with his rock. (laughs) But then, to be fair, if you are to believe his side of the story, which is also included in the story, it's that the kid had been back paddling everyone like all day long. And he'd been verbally warned like, hey, stop back paddling us or we're going to burn you or whatever. I don't know exactly what the threat or whatever was. But he was like verbally warned, apparently, this kid. So you see in the video. The kid takes off, he's deeper, and he's going down the line, and somebody drops in on him. So when you watch that with no context, you're like, oh, like, first of all, this guy dropped in on the kid, so he's an asshole. But if we know more of the context, then it's like, oh, well, maybe he told the kid he was going to do this, and the kid deserved it because he's backpaddling everyone. So then they're surfing the wave, the guy's doing turns, the kid's doing whatever you do on a 6'8", yellow single fin or whatever it is. And eventually the guy does a turn back and the kid's board flips over, he falls off, and I guess their boards collide, resulting in, of course, a ding going in the old guy's board because it's not glassed with 12-ounce fiberglass. So I don't know. Like With with that context, I'm not justifying his actions because his actions were so above and beyond, but I do kind of understand the rage of like imagine somebody's back paddling you all day long and you give them a verbal warning. They continue to do it. You drop in on them, and then they ding your board. Like, you'd be furious. And to be fair, I mean, we, we've we talked on here before. We don't know much about Malibu, but I know this guy's name. I know I, his, Andy Lyons I associate with Malibu. Like, I 
knowing so little about that wave, at least until I read that piece, but knowing so little, I would have known his name. I would have recognized him like Malibu guy. Um, so I guess, you know, 59 has been surfing there forever. I don't know how you deal with that situation. Um, I think a good way not to is throwing a rock at a kid's board. Um, but it really is such a good video because it's got, it tells a full story. I mean, it's got, well, it doesn't tell a full story because it doesn't tell the story that you just laid out, the kid backpiling the whole time. But you do have kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Like you have like, okay, the conflict with the the wave, and then you kind of get this big climax of the rock, and then it ends with him pushing the kid's board out to sea. He grabs the board again, and the kid didn't have a leash, I guess, but he just starts paddling it out to sea, so it just drift away, and that's a funny move, too. Like, that's... I think he should have just done that. If he had just done that, that's, like, that would have been fully perfect. a fair game. Yeah, yeah I've I've done that before to friends. If a friend's serving out a leash, you get a hold of their board, you push it out to sea. It's funny. Um, that would have been good. That would have been a good way to handle it. And then it sounds like he was a real estate agent and that he got fired. And that was a surprise to me because I didn't know you can get fired from that. I thought you pretty much take a test and you just walk around and tell everybody you're a real estate agent. So, uh, news to me. Yeah. I think, um, I think he'll get his job back. If not with that same company, then another one. Cause I don't know. Nowadays, companies are so afraid to be associated with somebody who's, you know, in the media firing line. And that company probably had no choice just within their community to to get rid of him. Um, But if he's a good real estate agent, he'll find work. So I'm not too worried about Andy Lyon. Yeah, we're not too worried about him. Uh, And good luck. (laughs) At least he's got a title now. He's the angriest man in surfing. There you go. All right. Now, on to the real surf sim. All right, the real surf sim. We have Luis here. Um, you know, we've said it before in here. It's I'm borrowing from Sam McIntosh right now, but Sam likes to say that the people who confess these are among the most self-aware in the the most self-aware surfers in the world. And this one stuck out to me because she is just a beginner. Um, she was learning how to surf and she's already got this, this level of awareness about, um, surf culture, if you will. I don't really know what you call it. It's pretty unique. It's, uh, first time I think we got a crocodile involved. So let's just get into it. Hey fellas, I have a sin that I'm being encouraged to get off my chest. So here it is. I was in Sri Lanka at a surf yoga camp. There's a bunch of us just starting out, learners on foamies, just having fun in the sun. We arrive at the day's surf spot and we kook our way out behind the itty bitty sets. There's a GoPro and a bunch of us sticking around, taking photos. Our coach is paddling around with a set of fins, calling us in and pushing us one by one onto our first tiny green waves. I spot what I think is a log floating about 300 metres away from us. It's disappearing and reappearing and it does this a few times. I don't mention it then, but I kind of keep my eyes on it. I wasn't thinking too hard about it. Not sure what was on my mind, but, you know, just being a typical, you know, stupid tourist. We get a few more waves. Log continues to disappear and reappear. I'm positioned on the outside of the group, nearest to the log, which is now about 150 metres away from us. The coach paddles over and I let him know that there's something in the water. Instantly, the energy changes and he leaps onto one of the boards with a woman from the UK. 
I can't remember exactly what was said. All I hear is the word croc. Exactly at that moment, UK lady falls off her board and starts screaming and slapping the water. Now, I don't know much about surfing, but I do know that this is not a good response. The coach is super rattled. He yells at her to get it together and launches her back onto her board. Meanwhile, amidst all of that commotion, I've decided that I really don't want to die today. So I paddle my way into the center of the group, leaving UK lady and coach Crocside. Uh, we all paddle in. It was carnage and just probably really stupidly funny watching it from the shore. There were boards flying everywhere and yeah, just absolute carnage. Back on the beach, the video footage confirms that, yep, was a big, big croc. We all kind of brush it off, laugh it off, but for the rest of the trip, I'm unable to make eye contact with UK lady or coach knowing what I did. I still catch up with this lady. We're good friends and we haven't, we've made a point of not really speaking about what happened. Um, yeah, but love, love her and yeah, it hasn't left me though, the guilt of valuing my life above hers. So whenever I hear of heroic stories where people put themselves on the line for a mate, I feel a massive sense of shame. Love your thoughts on how I can atone. Yours until shit gets real, an Aussie sinner. Ooh, okay. Yeah, again, like so self-aware to be like, I, I feel like most people who are learning how to surf would just interpret that experience as like, I was... I was learning how to surf and then I, a crocodile came and I got out of there. I, like they'd almost be proud of just getting out rather than, you know, fleeing. But um, Luis looks at it differently and, and she's very self-aware and I like it. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, it is maybe a bit of a survival instinct of just like, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your slowest friend. So she got the jump on the croc and, you know, at the end of the day, we're here for sex and survival so i think she met her maslow's hierarchy of needs that day yeah i mean i agree i just like you know most people they see an animal that's going to eat them we're just kind of we're trained to do that right we're trained to run away so or paddle away but a sin regardless um it's a sin okay she needs to devote a day to julian wilson when the shark attacked mick at j bay he was in the final against julian and you can't even see it on the webcast, but they talked about it after. Even Mick like wrote this long, heartfelt thing afterwards about Julian paddling towards him. Like they were even, you could hear the beach announcer being like, "Julian, go in!" And he's just like trying to go and help Mick in that moment. And so, I mean, what an incredible move! Like, can you imagine? Like, that you see, truly is the shining moment of Julian Wilson's career. Never won a world title. Doesn't seem like he's, you know going toward any future path of continued stardom. But that is something that he will always have and we will always appreciate. Yeah, and you can't even, like, I've rewatched the clip. Maybe there's a certain angle where you can see it, but, like, the broadcast angle, which I think is what everybody has seen, uh, you don't see that of Julian. Like, I'm not sure if, I hope people remember it. If they don't, then they're going to have to now, and Luis is always going to remember it. So devoting a day to Julian, um, you can keep it fairly simple, all right? You're just going to want to watch Young Guns 3, his part with that in excess song. Um, watch it a few times. To me, his Stranger Than Fiction part was really good too. But to me, just stick with that one. He was young there, but God, it's just so good. The song, high energy. Um, 
she's gonna have to buy a piece of clothing from his new brand, Rivia Projects, and she. Oh wow! Yep, she will have to wear a puka shell necklace the whole time, as Julian did from <laughs> for a lot of his career. And then she's gonna have to DM him a haiku poem. Haikus are easy: five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. Um, not gonna be too time consuming. Just get it done. So with that, you could really kind of tap into Julian's energy, and um, that that's how you heal. Is an incredible penance. I'm not even gonna give one because that is the one that she has to do. That is like peak penance. Well done, bravo, Buck. Thank you. I'm just here to help people heal, um, Luis. At least share the haiku with us. We'd love to hear it. Um, and you're going to have a lot of fun surfing. You're already so self-aware. It's great. Um, don't go to Malibu. Somebody might throw a rock at your board. But other than that, it's going to be like a really fun journey for you. And um, Hey, sorry. Just a little connect here. Do you remember in, I think it was Lost Atlas, that Julian and Yaden went to Costa Rica to that right wedge? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that clip where, I don't know if it was Yaden or Julian, but somebody threw a chicken and hit a crocodile in the head? <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to laugh at that, but it's just, it's a funny string of words. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that clip, but I, I know what I'm doing tonight now. Yeah, we got to find it. We got to find it. Um, I don't know. If, yeah, just the universe is telling us Julian Wilson, Crocodile, this surf sin and penance, just it all comes together. So please, Louise, just go do a day to Julian Wilson and Crocodiles. Go, go do it. And uh, she did send another voice note. Again, so self-aware. So let's hear a little note from her about Sri Lanka and then uh, heal up, everybody. Send us your sins. Have a good day. Just thought I'd add for those of you who are in Sri Lanka or who have been, um, just how much... The little country is on my mind and my heart at the moment. I know I've got family over there. Cannot wait to get back over there. Uh, yeah, can't believe what's happening over there at the moment. So any opportunity um, you guys have to get behind the people of Sri Lanka, get your touristy dollars over there, just go and do it. It's an amazing place to visit. Thank you, Buck, and thank you again to anybody who submits their surf sins. If you want to submit your own, you can send them into michael at stabmag.com or buck at stabmag.com. We are getting through them week by week. We will eventually get to everyone, hopefully, maybe. And now, without further ado, Stacy G is coming on. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open, the Challenger Series, straight into the CT, the last event of the year before the lowers, WSL Finals. Tahiti is on. It looks like the waves are going to be firing, so let's go on and talk about it. Mikey, you survived. Um, but then again, not everyone's cut out for the U.S. Open. You kind of uh, only just survived. Yeah, I don't have the constitution for that sort of particular surfing event. Fuck, I guess opposites attract. I absolutely love that event. It's <laughs> less about the surfing and more about, uh, yeah, I think we alluded to it last week, just if you can survive um, even simple things like crossing the road. You know, us Aussies aren't used to like a six-lane highway um, that are just directly on the beach, you know. So it's, um, yeah, distractions and... Um, danger everywhere at Huntington Beach. Yeah, and Australians just don't get hung over. Like Danny would wake up from like a pretty good night out and he'd just be like fine somehow. I don't understand it. We we get hung, Mikey, we're just professional. I think that's the difference. 
athletes, if you will. <laughs> I I think it's actually in your DNA. I'm pretty sure that you guys are just like the drunkest of the British Isles. Well, you know, um, a lot of Australians came from that kind of Irish kind of background uh, and, and sort of lineage. And, and Huntington Beach has one of the biggest populations of um, Irish people outside of Ireland. So I think we fit right in there. Yeah, I know it well. Uh, yeah, if you listen to the first part of this podcast, you know all about our adventure in the in the Irish pub. But anyway, um, Buck and I cover that pretty extensively. So do you want to talk a little bit about the actual competitive surfing aspect of the US Open, which is just like a really small part of it, but it, uh, it happened? Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of do, I guess. Again, it's probably my least favorite thing to talk about because the waves this year were actually... It was a bit more like an Ironman rather than a um, a surfing event, but I I love that fitness side of surfing. But you particularly on the QS, it's it's never really just four foot and perfect on the QS. It's either a hundred foot and closing out, or one foot and kind of lapping onto the shore. Well, in previous years, Manly and Snapper were pretty pumping, but I guess if you take Bolito for example, or or the first couple of days that US Open, just such contrasting styles of of waves. So. Yeah, I don't mind the old mid-heat runaround. No, it's it's amazing. It adds so much like fun and intrigue to the events, like people just like giving up early. Um, obviously, we talked about William just retiring on the spot, just <laughs> decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, yeah, it's 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 brilliant. I love 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 that aspect of QS surfing or CS surfing. Sorry, all the kids that I train at home absolutely hate me whenever I say we're going to do a run swim paddle for whatever reason. And that's the reason because you just, it would be so frustrating to lose a heat based on fitness <laughs> because fitness, yeah. you can, you can get it for free. I know a lot of people pay for coaches <laughs> these days and a lot of people, and they're very talented people out there that can help you get, you know, the best out of your body. But it's one of those things that you can just go Jake Pato style up and down sand dunes or swim laps at your local beach or whatever. And then you could just roll up to a day like that and be so prepared and look at everyone else kind of going, Oh shit. And you know, you might get an extra runaround in, which is an extra wave. And that's, that might be the difference. Yeah. I tried to do a runaround when I was there just for fun. It is so hard. Like the, cause you're surfing a wave all the way to the beach, right? So your legs are already pretty shot at that point. And then you're jumping into, you know, deep, wet sand, running up the beach, and then having to, like, paddle out and do it all Like, it is seriously winding. Like, having to do that two or three times in a heat like they were doing is absurd. And you kind of finish the wave, I'm guessing, through the pier, and there's not really a wave to kind of bring you in. You kind of paddle through the gutter of what's left from the pier, so it's sort of like a kick in the teeth. And then the runaround, you don't get to time the jump off between a set. You just have to go. You're not waiting on the sand yeah. and there could be a set coming and you're just paddling straight into it. It's, it's a nightmare. All right. So the one thing, obviously we had Zeke Lau and Betty Lusakura Johnson win the men's and women's divisions. They are now, uh, I think Zeke's at third in the challenger series rankings. Betty Lou is up to fourth. Um, Macy Callahan also made the final, the second in a row for her. She's up to number three in the rankings. Um, one, two, three, and four in the women's are looking pretty solid right now. That said, they do have such a small qualification window at just five people getting in, and there's three events left, so anybody could still come up and win a couple of events and just shoot themselves straight into that picture. But yeah, right now it's looking like if they are each to get like one more big result, they'll probably be in alongside Molly and Katie. That fifth spot is the one that's really up for grabs at the moment. Um, and then on the men's side, Rio just 
really interesting year, just a real shit sandwich of uh, last place, two firsts, and then a last place, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, it's kind of all you need at this point. So um doesn't really matter for him, I suppose. And then, so in this event, some of the things that stood out to me were in the semifinals, we had two buzzer beater decisions, basically. Um, it was Zeke Lau versus Eitan Osborne, and then Joe Alcianca and Evan Geiselman. Uh, in the Eitan situation, he needed, I think, a six at the end of his heat, took off on a left, did a backside spinner, uh, whatever you want to call it, like a fin waft chop hop something or other and then he basically just connected the wave to the inside and if you'd watched that heat you'd know that basically he would have just needed one or two decent turns on the inside basically to get the score that wave completely fizzled gave him nothing he got a five got eliminated evan geiselman similar situation needed like a mid five to make it through went on a left did a half turn did a good little finner on the closeout and again, tried to connect the inside, and there was just nothing left. And that was actually pretty odd. Most of the waves that day had a good inside connection. It just so happened that these two buzzer beater moments, for whatever reason, the ocean didn't align. So my question, Stacy, is this, like, should the inside matter as much as it does at a wave like Huntington? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but it does, and everyone knows that, so you have to you have to play the game. Everyone knows that. Um uh, yeah, it, it, Zeke is so good at mastering that inside. He he throws a lot of risk on the inside, and he makes it worthwhile. But yeah, it really shouldn't count for as much. But it's sort of like a running joke. It it, it it's a six if you finish the wave on the inside, no matter what you do. And it, it's somewhat true, as you've just alluded to in these last two waves. If they get an inside anything, it's a six plus. Yep. So. I I guess I kind of disagree. Like, I really do think... Because the thing with Huntington is the outside, depending on the tide, it can either be, like, at low tide, it can be real steep and dumpy, or at a higher tide, it can be pretty flat. And actually, oftentimes, even surfing Huntington, like, I, I tried to get out a few times, you know, this past week, and my favorite part of the wave is the inside. I feel like you can get the most speed and sort of hit the best section, not because the wave is necessarily... Um, better in there, but because you're rolling into it with speed. So whereas out the back, you'd have to, you know, you're paddling into a wave at normally like the juiciest point of it. At this point, you already have speed going into the juiciest point of the wave. So you can kind of do whatever you want if you get a good inside section. So I kind of disagree. I think the inside is valuable, even beyond the sort of entertainment value. And yeah, just I, I loved Evan's reaction to not getting the score. He obviously thought he got it, and he let the judges know how he felt about that. Um, but I'm I'm all for the inside section. I think that that needs to remain, like, actually important to get a score in order for the U.S. Open to make any sense. Because otherwise, people are just going to kick out after doing two average turns out the back. And where's the fun in that? Oh, you'd hate to see quality over quantity, wouldn't you? Oh, heaven forbid, a bit of quality. <laughs> But you can't, what's the quality, what's the quality that's happening out the back? Unless Aton Osborne did one air out there and Caroline did one turn out there. And that was on like a big day too. Most days in Huntington don't look like that. Quality out the back is like, it's just not there. I think it can be there. And I think everyone's kind of, you know, lulled into that, that it can't be. You, you take Jao Chianka in the final, for instance, even the commentators, all three of them were just saying Zeke Lau's in the lead, Zeke Lau's in the lead, and, and Jao had scores coming in, and they were catching up, but they'd written him off any chance of being in the lead because both of his waves didn't get through to the inside. 
but he squared up two way better turns at that point in the heat than Zeke had done. And it was just like there was no chance he was ever going to be in the lead because he had no inside section. And I just think that is so... That's what's wrong about it. Like, if someone cracks a wave out the back, they're, they're still good surfing. Like, so you've got to reward that. And, you know... Um, I just don't think that it's it's given that the inside should be what it is. And I think you saw that in the early stages of that final. The judges were, were really sharp with making sure Zeke rode out of turns, making sure that the turns were decent. Um, if Jow did a big turn out the back, they were giving him a bigger score. But it seemed like the audience tuning in and it seemed to not value that. And I just kind of trip out on that. I'm like, no, nah, good surfing still good surfing no matter where you do it. Um, and just because you make the inside... I don't necessarily think it should be a score. And I, I think that, you know, that's where, you know, it's entertainment for like the shock value of it. Like, oh, they made it to the inside. It's like someone hitting the net in tennis. The crowd goes, oh, but it's it's nothing technical about it. If anything, it's a mistake. Okay, I see that point. I like the tennis analogy. But I also disagree to a certain extent because there is a lot of skill in not just making the connection, but making the right connection. Because when you were pumping through that inside, depending on what your wave looks like, there are 10 different paths you could take to get to three or four different sections on the inside. So I think you pointed out Zeke is really good at doing that, and I don't think that should be discredited. I think that that is a skill, and it is valuable. And like that wave that he did the sort of two-air reverses on, I think the judges only gave him a 5-5, which maybe you think that's the right score. It felt on the beach like it should have gone higher. But maybe if you're watching from home, you know that the, the outside one was, you know, a little softer and the inside one, it's only on a half a foot section or whatever, even though he got good projection. I'm claiming that 5.5 five was one of those weird 80% scores where they weren't like 100% convinced he rode out of it. So they gave him an in-between score. <laughs> they gave him four points for out the back and like weirdly one and a half for the inside because the air on the inside was n- psycho. Like he had no business doing that air on that section and, and, and kind of looked like he made it to, to my eye, but maybe he didn't quite ride out of it. Is that, does that make sense? No, he because, did because that, but he was pointing down at his nose because in the previous heat, he'd done a similar air and I, not I, under, I understand that, but what's a five, five, what's a five, five. That's such a weird score to me. Like that should have been, yeah. That that's a seven, right? Maybe that's the only thing I can think about is that they're maybe giving him like a little bit of credit, but not full credit, which again is another conversation all in itself. But like that air on the inside was psycho yeah. for the day. Smaller wave, I guess, is maybe what brought it down a little bit. But then, okay, so I was not able to pay close attention to the scores in the final because I was busy doing other things, as you may have seen in the webcast. Um, what did they give Zeke for one of his last waves? It was a left that he went out the back, he went up and down two times and then didn't make the connection. But it seemed like a bigger wave. They seemed like bigger turns than anything anybody had done up into that point or basically in the whole heat. I think we might have to pause this one out and uh, go and have a quick look there, Mikey, because it could uh, add some spice to this conversation. Um, I was somewhat interested in the final uh, when I saw the waves and the scores and what was going down I must admit I think I had something better to do uh, and then I tuned in to see Zeke one which was sort of seemed like that was the way it was going but yeah it's 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 one of those things where I would be stoked to hear that that score would be good because it sounds like the kind of surfing I would like to see <laughs> um, even though we're disagreeing on that and the the, the commentators and everyone else seem to as well but yeah it's one of those things what did he get for it i just looked it up zeke got a 6.9 on this wave which was the highest scoring wave of the heat so there you go stacy the judges agree if you do get 
the big wave, the punchy outside section, you bang it twice, they're going to go big for you. And I would also just like to say, how on earth were you not paying attention to the scores? I don't think there was anyone closer to the action than yourself. Well, the board that has like that, you know, the replay board up on the pier, the scores are like freaking, maybe I need to get my eyes checked, but I couldn't see them from where I was standing. And your ears checked, mate. They've got about 18 beach announcers no, down there. you couldn't just hear hammering anything. scores. You could hear absolutely nothing from the beach. They must have had them all on the pier just for the surfers because you could not hear anything on the beach at all. Oh, where's the support for the core fan? <laughs> yeah, the core Huntington fan. Who None of them seem to understand my uh, Houston O sign. Did anyone laugh at you running out for their heats? Uh, no, I really tried to get a laugh out of Joel, but he was just stone-faced me all the way down the, the chute. Yeah, he's stone cold. You can tell when he gets in the zone. It's it's one of those, he gets gets um, locked in. I don't think um, a, an air horn or anything could get him off his guard. Yeah, well, this is his first result, basically, of the CS year. I know a lot of people want to see him back on tour after what he did this year. Uh, just he needs a few more good results, but I think he'll get there. And with that, Stacy, I know this is uh, generally a CS podcast, but how would you feel about dabbling in the uh, in the CT waters? We're going to Tahiti. Yeah, if anything, I feel a little bit guilty that we just spent that much time on Huntington. So yeah, I'd be stoked to move on. <laughs> All right. So obviously, the big news is that waves are coming. Um, you know, it's hard to tell exactly how big it's going to be. At least I've never been to Tahiti. You have, maybe you have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like. Yeah, I've only been once. So I'm certainly no, um, swell Oracle when it comes to that part of the world, but I do know that the, the direction of which that arrow is coming from is, uh, exactly what you want. Um, you saw there the other day on people's Instagram stories, uh, that was like a more south with east in the direction of the swell. So it's kind of like Chopu Point running down the point, a little bit crumbly, obviously still pumping and really fun to surf. But the new swell direction that's coming is a lot more straight south with even west in it, which is that's the direction you want. If anything, you want it more west than south because we just want to see absolute carnage on that west bowl. Uh, you know, you hear, hear surfers, um, you know, over the years talking about Tahiti and Chopes and you looking for a closeout because that's the one you're going to make it on. That's that direction. It just sort of, um, the year we were there, it certainly didn't even get this big. But maybe it, near that size, actually, and it is just such a sight to behold. The surfers in the water, you can't even really see the lump until it's almost sort of underneath you. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be super exciting. The direction of the swell and the wind just look so good. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's the other thing is typically the wind, you know, most of these um, southern hemisphere lefts, you know, like a cloud break, chopes, a lot of waves in Indo, they face a direction where the trades are sort of like side shore or side offshore. But the winds, it looks like they're going to be like straight offshore, if you believe the, the current forecast for at least the biggest day, which I believe is going to be Wednesday, uh, which is wild. You don't often get to see chopes like pure offshore and just absolute glassy. So that's going to be amazing. As far as when they're going to run, it looks like the new swell fills in on Monday afternoon, so they could potentially get some heats done there. You'd think that they're probably going to start with the women because there's a first pulse of swell that's a little bit on the smaller side. Surfline's calling it five to eight feet. That'll run through Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the bigger, longer period swell fills in. They're calling that eight to 12 feet at its peak. 
Uh, so you'd think that the men were probably going to run then. And then Thursday also stays really good. Now here's the other thing is there's a swell on the long range as well, which is going to be hitting on the 20th, 21st. Of course, that's more liable to change just because it hasn't even, that, that storm isn't even created yet. But if that one comes in, it looks even bigger than the Wednesday swell. So the WSL is going to have a decision to make. Do they finish the event in probably really good waves or do they wait for the mammoth swell and try to recreate some of that 2014 magic? It's kind of a dream scenario for a contest director, really, because they can get the, the bulk of the contest done Tuesday, Wednesday. And by that point, this model and this forecast will have a lot more reliability for that back end of the comp. So they can either kind of, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, get a little better look at it and either decide to go hard on that Wednesday and then wrap it up early Thursday morning. Hopefully that swell holds. And then that's it. Or wait for that next one and just run like, you know, semis and final on the on the mega days. But yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's exciting. It's just so good to see, you know, forecasts like looking like this. It's something, you know, we sort of sort of saw that at G-Land where even G-Land at four foot still a lot better than some of the other venues on tour, but just the disappointment was just so tough knowing what that wave's capable of doing. And it's the same when you go to J-Bay and Tahiti, even when it's like two out of 10 for there, it's better than everywhere else in the world, but it's still, you know they still run the same ads leading into the heats and it's just such a letdown when you're looking at the water and it's flat and you're going on dang it yeah so the one thing that i'm a little bit worried about is we know that the wsl nowadays they really love to run the men's and women's finals on the same day they you know one i'm sure it saves them money and two it helps prop up i think the women's side a little bit because it ensures that there's going to be that fan base who maybe would only tune in for the men's watching as well so i'm thinking like man if they're going to hold off for that big swell they'd have to make a decision about one whether they'd be comfortable putting the women out in a really big swell and two if they weren't comfortable with that if they want to spend the extra time and money to stay in Tahiti and to put on basically a one gendered final day which is just probably not as good for them in a commercial sense but at the same time it's like that 2014 swell people still talk about that that was like the greatest commercial or I don't know if commercial I don't know if they'd made any money specifically from it but they got the most viewership of like any event up to that point so there's a lot of these questions that i'm sure they're asking themselves right now and hopefully they make the right decision i think if you use pipeline as an example they they did they had a really good um you know strategy there i talk about it a lot and, and i'm definitely err on the side of being a safety sam more than someone who wants to turn the women's tour into like a big wave event uh but you know and i know there's a lot of discussion around that but what they did at pipeline was perfect and I think they could emulate the same thing here. And if anything, it would work in the favor of, you know, getting the most eyeballs because they could run the women and the men kind of through that Thursday if that swell still hangs around before it gets mega. And then if it's looking, you know, absolutely code red, save the men's semis and final for that further down the down the track uh, uh, days. But yeah, I definitely think if, if pipeline's anything to go off, um, that was, I think, a pretty good example of how best to kind of maximize the women's performance, but also keep in mind the fact that they are still, you know, first time competing here in 16 years. Uh, a handful of women have done free surf trips there. There's not a whole lot of experience in this current crop. So, yeah, I think they'll do a good job. 
Yeah, well, selfishly, I do want them to run the women in some serious waves because I made some bets and picks around people who I think would do well in those conditions. But we'll get into that shortly. First of all, I just wanted to like remind everyone that on top of us being extremely excited about the conditions and the forecast and everything, we also have to think about the implications of this event. This is the last event for CT surfers to get into the top five and into the WSL finals at Lower Trestles. So we talked um, a few weeks ago, actually, about like the sort of implications around all that and where we saw that going. Obviously, there's two men and two women that are already locked into finals day at Lowers, and that's Jack Robinson and Felipe Toledo for the men and Joanne Fay and Carissa Moore for the women. There are three spots for both men and women that are technically, mathematically up for grabs. But when you look at it closely, you know, it's unlikely that there could be a huge shift in that. So I remember, like, for me, I'm going to say that I think the men's top five, those five people are going to stay the same. Maybe there could be some shifting around internally, but I think it's going to be Felipe, Jack, Italo, Ethan, and and Griffin making it to the WSL finals. Um, Basically nipping right on Griffin's heels is Kanoa Igarashi. If he finishes higher than Griffin, he's actually going to take Griffin's spot. And then on the women's side, uh, I do think there is going to be a little bit of a shakeup. I think Tyler Wright is going to find her way into the top five. So I think she's going to be knocking out either Steph Gilmore or Brisa Hennessy. That is my prediction. Stacey, do you have any further thoughts on that? Straight up agree with you on the men's. Uh, what an amazing bunch of six we have. You know, even if it does shift around there, any one of those guys for where the final event is, you know, are going to be lethal. So, yeah, that's going to be super exciting. Totally agree with you on the women. Um, Tyler Wright's a surfer that, um, you know, has proven track record in serious waves of consequence both left and right and she just has that kind of when she you know when she gets her eye in she is hard to stop so yeah it's um highly likely that you know Steph and Breeza are gonna have to step up and, and perform because uh you know it'd be an incredible story if Tyler Wright makes a final five just given the year she's had Yes, absolutely. We talked about she basically missed three events in the back half of the year. All of those results counted based on how the, the tour format works out this year. Uh, but if she does, she absolutely deserves it. Like that is huge to go from where she was to, to in the top five. Um, okay, so with all of that said, knowing the forecast, knowing the implications, knowing the surfers involved, I think it's time we do a few of our picks, Stacy. So First and foremost, uh, you can go on Stab right now and onto Stab's YouTube and see the picks from Tahore. I, I'm so sorry, I can't say his name. Maybe you know how to say it. Tahore Henry, who is a local at Chopu. Tahore. Okay, so I think he was originally a bodyboarder, but he also does some stand-up surfing and just an absolute cone fiend. Just lives for Chopes. He moved there, lives there, and probably not going anywhere else anytime soon. So he watches that wave all the time, and he gave us his picks for betonline.ag. Like I said, you can find those on the site. I went ahead and picked my own people. They actually do cross over with his a lot, just um, organically. So I'm going to tell you the actual bets that I made, which, spoiler alert, there a lot of them are not anywhere near the price that I got them at. So with betonline.ag, the the prices you buy people at, they're super dynamic. So if a lot of people are buying a person, the price for them will essentially go up, right? So for instance, I got Vahine Fierro at plus 1,600. 
which means that a $100 bet would earn you $1,600. So I put $50 on the local girl. Wild card. Um, I, you know, it's tough because you know for a fact that she's going to have to beat Carissa Moore at least once in order to win the event, either in round one, two, or three. And from there, it's not going to be that much easier. So I have $50 on her. I disagree. If you beat the world champ, you are home and hose because you then take their seed. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Once, Once you're in round three, though, if she beats her in round two or in round one, that doesn't matter. Correct. You need to do it in round three. So yeah, save your bullets, Vahine. Make sure you do it in round three. <laughs> or I guess maybe that's just for the men because... No, I guess it's for the women as well because technically round three for the women is now the quarters with the cut field. But it still applies. Yeah, you reseed up until the quarters for the women. Okay, so the other women that I picked, or the other woman that I picked was Tatiana Weston-Webb. I put $50 on her at plus 800. So if... T- to Tatiana is to win, I'll win $400. If Fahine is to win, I'll win $800. And I have a pretty good feeling that one of them could get the dub. What are they priced at now? So Fahine is now at plus 450 which is crazy. Oh, so you're the big whale. <laughs> you're the big whale that blew the odds out. Wow, look at you go. Wow. Because that's sort of what you were implying earlier. Just low Yes. Key. Sorry, yeah, to, uh, sorry to anyone who's trying to get in late on the betting. You do have to, like, that's one of the things that I've learned with betonline.ag is you just re- hit that refresh tab over and over and over. Because if you're one of the first ones in and you get those early odds, you are so stoked. Um, so that's a little hot tip on that. Now, on the men's side, I have got... Kelly Slater, Connor O'Leary, Baron Mamiya, and Seth Moniz. Kelly Slater is the only past winner at Chopu in this year's event. Julian and Owen and Gabby, all of the sort of more recent winners, are not in the event for various reasons, which I'm sure you know. So on top of that, he's also just had not a great year, but how amazing would it be to just bookend the beginning and the end of the year with a W? And he's so capable of it. Like we saw him at um pipe this year obviously we also recently saw him at can Dewey. like the guy still has it the waves are going to be good i'm sure nothing motivates him more than pumping waves at a wave like chopes uh and the fact that he just wants to get another win under his belt so yeah i put 50 dollars on kelly and then i've got 20 dollars on the rest connor o'leary is my little dark horse i think that he could be very very sneaky out there he is an excellent tube rider and yeah that's that's where i'm sitting so what about you stacy Interesting point you make about the only past winner still being uh, in the draw because I do know that um, the Surfing Australia mob are currently doing a bit of Olympic scouting uh, in Tahiti at the moment. So they've taken some team members over there to um, check in on the field, support the current CT athletes that are there and um, yeah, do a bit of background research on uh, Tahiti as an Olympic venue. Along with them for the ride is Owen Wright. And this is just a passing thought, but uh, what is going to happen if someone pulls out due to COVID, injury, something like that? Are they going to go local wildcard or past winner and valid replacee Owen Wright? I was thinking Mick Campbell based on some of their previous picks. You know, you can't have Hedgy without Campbell. They're a package deal as far as I see it. I kind of think that could be a heritage heat. Uh, but more on that later. Um, yeah, it, it, oh, yeah. Interesting no, I think you make there. it should for sure go to a local. I think it should be either Matahi or Emeo. Uh, probably 
Matahi makes the most sense. Like he is sort of the the new prince of Chopu, and the fact that he's not getting a run in this event already is like a little weird to me. Like I know they had local trials and everything, but it just seems like when there's somebody that's such a staple, like a Moana at Pipeline, you know what I mean? Like they, they should find some wiggle room to make that happen. Um, especially when they had that wild card that they gave to Hedgy, not to say that he, you know, isn't also a good pick for that. I'm like, I'm super excited to watch him surf out there, but it just seems like it would have made more sense for it to go to a really good local. Yeah. I mean, there's the list goes on there. Gilbert Teve, Matea Hikwili. There's so many good young guys there um that I'm sure are scratching their heads. And again, it's nothing against Hedgy. It's it's more just the depth of talent that that is in that part of the world. Um so it's going to be um you know exciting. The forecast suits Hedgy. So th- I know he's going to make a good crack of it. Um and I know he still wants it bad. He was the first reserve for the Gold Coast Challenger event. He was at the beach on dark every day leading up to the event warming up as if he was in the comp and then for the first three days when they were getting through that massive first round he was there right up until heat 24 so unfortunately he didn't get into that one but just to show his intent and his his desire and his training and he's fit and healthy it's not like they've pulled someone out of left field that sort of isn't ready to roll hedgy is on the kelly level of fitness for age so he is you know He's raring to go. Is it a bit weird, though, that, like, he is actually the surf coach for Dirk and Natasha Ziff, and he just, like, magically gets a wild card into this event? Like, I know he has the outer known connection as well, so you could, like, put it on the sponsor thing, but could there be any, I guess nepotism wouldn't be the word, but um, favoritism going on due to his connection with the people who own the league? I think if there's anything in this world's taught me, Mikey, it's, uh, it's who you know. That is absolutely correct. There's lessons to be learnt there for, you know, reasons to stay sharp because you just never know when you're going to get your opportunity um and i would love to see sort of the communication between sort of hedgy and his sponsors hedgy and his boss because he's obviously in good communication with them and keeping them up to speed and they know where he's at because he's not tahitian he he hasn't um had a major result in recent events so it's one of those things where I'm sure he's... And he's 43. And he's 43. But not, you know, Kelly's showing the age thing can be just a number. But do you, do you kind of get where I'm going with this? Like so many kids out there, yeah, they might be younger and, and even arguably better at that spot. But unless you're kind of making a bit of noise, it you know, it's just it's just the world we live in. So that's definitely something that I think Hedgie would be doing well. He'd be he'd be staying in contact with everyone. He'd be letting everyone know what he's up to and, 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 and ready to go. And then he's been given this opportunity and I know that he won't he won't let this opportunity go to waste. So it's gonna be um you know, there's plenty of storylines in this. Yeah, I mean he's gonna send it no matter what, whether he comes out of a ten or, you know, just goes straight to the reef on a on a one five, he's gonna definitely put on a show, which is really what it's all about at the end of the day anyways. So, uh, Stacey, we haven't heard your picks yet. Let's hear them. I'm going GOAT. Um, what he was doing at uh, Kandui was just on another planet. Um, the fact that he was missing CT events to, you know, surf perfect waves is a great example of where his head's at, and hopefully his forecast stays true. Um, was fortunate enough to watch him win there in 2016, and watching him live in that setting... Uh, versus John in the final was, you know, an opportunity to see that he really still is the master um, of, 
it wasn't, I would say, heavy, but even chopes at four foot is still a pretty intense technical wave. If anything, it's probably more technical because you've got to get smaller to make the tubes and make those little subtle adjustments. And I was just floating around in the in the in the blue waters there, getting pretty close to the action, and was baffled at how skillful he was. And and I don't think he's lost any of that since 2016. So yeah, uh, when it was big there last time, he obviously had an amazing heat with Freestone. Freestone got the better of him, but it wasn't anything lacking of skill of Kelly's. Um, Jack just sort of outwave selected him and and also <clears throat> put on an amazing skillful performance of backhand tube riding but yeah it's one of those things where if kelly finds some rhythm um he's going to be super hard to stop so I'm, I'm i'm really backing him in and then i think as my and he's not really a dark horse but man robo is going to be so hard to stop out there if it's that swell stays the same even if it's small we saw him at g land he's tech he can get it done so yeah, Kelly and Robbo look good to me. And then on the women's side, um, I, I like I'm liking the stats on the on the goofy um, goofy train. I think um, Vahine is going to be, you know, it's one of those things. She's had so much experience out there. She's going to be comfortable, and it's just a matter of her getting her opportunities. If she can take off three or four times in a heat, one of those is going to be a big score, and that's that's all you need at Tahiti. You, you really don't need two excellent waves every heat if you can get an eight and a two generally speaking that's enough to get the job done particularly in those early rounds so um yeah it's uh, gonna be gonna be interesting to watch I, i'm not too sure who else i'd like in the women's i think obviously tatiana's an easy one because she's a goofy footer caroline marks has been there a fair bit um but i really think sort of very similar to moana i, I think vahine is going to be on another level so how's this for a first round heat felipe toledo kelly slater nathan hedge <laughs> Holy. Go for leap. <laughs> he actually, he and Slater had an amazing heat at pipe one year. Felipe almost beat him. He was like five feet away from making a 10 basically at back door that would have got him through the heat. So, I mean, obviously he hasn't had the results in heavy waves, but that is not to say that he could. I mean, there's a first time for everything, right? Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm ready for Philippe to put the hammer down. All right. Well, that is Tahiti. Uh, we will be keeping a very close eye all through next week. How excited are you? Like, I'm just like, all right, I'm like, make it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever they're going to start already. I'm ready to just sit there on a couch, TV on, WSL, computer in lap, banging away at work. Just the, it's my happy place. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I, um, America is like a horrible time for me to watch events. So US Open obviously is pretty gnarly, but Tahiti is a couple hours back towards being favorable to me so um yeah i'll be up in the dark coffee in hand uh raring to go particularly with a forecast like this um yeah and yeah i also just got a tv for the first time in four years and it's fucking huge so i'm locking in that's amazing get that youtube app up and running and you're good to go oh i feel like such a tech nerd i've got this tv that's like a computer but it's 50 times bigger and i really feel like i've really hit the peak of sort of middle age middle class society in australia i've got a i've got a tv <laughs> brilliant all right stacy well um i guess that means we'll be chatting next week hopefully about the winners of this event and who's going on to lower so until then 
Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. We love putting together this weekly podcast for you and talking about everything that happened in surfing. This next week could be even better with the forecast going on in Tahiti. I think it's um, basically going to be just a real spectator's treat. So throughout the week, figure out a way to, you know, have that incognito tab up. Don't let your boss see, but let's watch some surfing, yeah? And until then, over and out.